Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. It is Friday, the 2nd of July. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix, change your, your geolocation, if you will. Um, also keeps your data safe. It's libertyshield.com. The code is EPLVPN. It gets you 20% off at checkout. Libertyshield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks. Uh, just to make you all aware, we are now closer to New Year's Day 2022 than we are New Year's Day 2021, which is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Uh, this year is flying by. Anyway, two games tonight in the Euros, which are back on our screens. Two quarterfinal matches. The first of which, 5 p.m. kickoff from St. Petersburg, Switzerland versus Spain. Obviously, the Swiss pulled off the big shock of the last round, knocking out France on penalties. Spain overcame Croatia in an absolutely mental game. Spain came second in the group, were largely disappointing against both Sweden and Poland, hammered Slovakia, but had a lot of help from Slovakia's goalkeeper, Martin Dubravka, and the Slovakian defence, who all did their part to enable Spain to score five. Switzerland, on the other hand, third in their group, should have beat the Welsh in the opening in their opening game, didn't. Lost to Italy, beat Turkey, ended up third. I think Switzerland are in... A great position here where nobody expects anything from them, just as, as they didn't in the last round. All the pressure is on Spain, just as all the pressure was on France. And with this Spanish team, we've seen them have struggles in defence. None of the three centre-backs who've played, Garcia, Laporte or Pau Torres, have performed well at all. 
The fullback situation's been a little bit messy. Now, Aspi Laqueta looks to have taken back that position as his own. Alba has been a little bit hit and miss at left back. Unai Simon obviously made the big error against Croatia, but through the tournament, he has done well. He's made big saves at big times. In midfield, they've looked much better since Busquets came back in and took the place from Rodri. Koke's been pretty good, aggressive. He's gotten himself into some good positions. He could really do it nabbing a goal or two. Pedri's played well, but I still have to question why he's in the team over Thiago Alcantara. Now, Pedri is going to be a star. Pedri is going to be one of the big players for Spain for the next 12, 14 years. But right now, there is absolutely no doubt that Thiago Alcantara is a better player. There's very few midfielders in the world on Thiago's level, let alone better than him. He really should be starting. Up front, again, big question marks. Morata has established himself as the number nine, but there are massive flaws in his game. For all the good he gives you, he misses an awful lot of chances. He has no concept of the offside rule. And at times he can become a little bit selfish when you really would prefer he passed the ball. There's times where he should shoot and he passes, but then on the flip side, there's times when he should pass and he shoots. Ferran Torres has been hit and miss, but he's gotten a couple of goals. I'm no fan of Sarabia, but again, he's gotten a couple of goals. I still believe Oyarzabal is the best wide forward they have. I'd like to see a little bit of Adama Traore just for something different. But I'm expecting it will be Ferran Torres and Sarabia either side of Morata up front. Uh, for the Swiss, no Granite Jacker. He is suspended. I, I assume Zakaria comes back in and then it's chalk from the last game. They haven't really rotated much. They've kept largely the same team. We know that Harris Seferovic is going to get some joy in the air against that Spanish defence. So it's all a matter of how good is the quality of service coming to him going to be. Because if it's of a high calibre, that could be Switzerland's best path to winning this game. I think it should be a fun game. Spain, obviously, last two games, five goals in each. The Swiss are quite open at the back, but Spain's defence is still poor and Switzerland are good on the counter. I think there'll be goals. I think Spain will win. I think their little, well, not little bit of extra quality, the extra quality that they have will overcome the hustle and bustle of the Swiss. And I think Spain will move on into a semi-final. In that semi-final, they will face one of Belgium or Italy. Those two meet at eight o'clock at the Alliance Arena in Munich. Belgium likely without Kevin De Bruyne, potentially without Eden Hazard. Hazard's not a huge blow, not at this point. Two years ago, three years ago, if you'd said Hazard's out, you'd have thought nightmare. What a player he was, but the player he is now isn't that same player. He can still win you a match, but I think they have options in Mertens and Carrasco who can do the same. Maybe not to his level, of course, but I still think they can have the desired effect. They don't have anyone who can replace De Bruyne. They don't have anyone who can carry the load from a creativity point of view. They don't have anyone that delivers crosses like he does. They're going to be heavily reliant on Romelu Lukaku to turn in a massive performance. Now, he's absolutely capable Right now, I would say he's the best number nine in the world. On current form, the season, 
and right now, I don't think there's anyone better than him. He's been brilliant in this tournament. He obviously had a sensational season for Inter, drove them to the league. But tonight, Belgium really need him. Really, really need him. Now, he'll either be up against Benucci and Cialini if Cialini gets past fit, or Benucci and a Serbi, who I assume would be the one to come in. He came in in the last game against Austria. That bit of extra experience, I think Mancini is happy to go with. I would be playing Bastoni. I think he's the better of the two. I think he's comfortably the better of the two. But I can understand why Mancini would go with a Serbi. Italy's big question mark after Cialini is what do they do in midfield? So in the first two games, it was Barella, Jorginho, Locatelli. Jorginho has been very good through this tournament. Locatelli, disappointing first game, great second game. Barella was brilliant in those first two games. They changed the midfield for the Welsh game, but against Austria, it was Barella, Jorginho and Verratti, who'd played really good, against, really good against the Welsh, was obviously first choice prior to his injury before the tournament. So it wasn't a surprise that he stayed in the team. He played very well against Austria, as did Jorginho, but Barella had a very poor game and it seemed to throw off the Italians. They didn't perform the way we expect them to perform. So it wouldn't be a surprise if maybe he's left out tonight. Maybe Locatelli comes in. Maybe Pazina comes in. He scored two goals the last two games to beat Wales, beat Austria. So he's made a case to start. I think he's the fifth best of their five midfielders. Well, they've got six midfielders, including Cristante. But I think he's the he's number five on the list. But current form, goal threat, could be the reason for him to come in. The other question mark then maybe is, do you stick with Berardi, who had a poor game against Austria? And go with Federico Chiesa. Berardi was brilliant again like Barella in the first two games. And when those two combined, Italy looked unstoppable. When they both struggled against Austria, Italy really, really struggled to get anything going. So Mancini has decisions to make. But his decisions are from a position of strength. He's got basically a full squad available to him with the possible exception of Cialini, who maybe will even make the bench if he doesn't quite start. But the De Bruyne thing is massive. I think Mancini is also a drastically superior manager to Roberto Martinez. Now, I don't think Mancini's is an elite-level manager, but I think he's a very good manager. He's certainly better than Martinez. I think he's got his team set up better. I think they play more for each other. And I think that Belgian defence is wide open for Italy, with their movement, with the creativity and inventiveness, I think that Belgian defence is going to be in trouble. Vermeulen came in in the last game, obviously. He did pretty well. But having Toby Alderweireld, um, Thomas Vermeulen and Jan Vertonghen, I mean, Toby's the youngest, and I think he's 32 now. Um, that's going to be problematic against pace and movement, be it Chiesa or Berardi on the right, Immobile through the middle. And then Insigne off the left. And of course, Italy still have either Chiesa or Berardi then off the bench, plus Bernadeschi off the bench and Bellotti off the bench. So Italy are very, very strong in midfield and attack. And I fancy them to get through here. I think it will be a pretty tight game. 
But I think Italy's variety of options will overcome Belgium, who are heavily reliant on one player, Romelu Lukaku. Now, he's had success against those Italian centre-backs for the last couple of seasons. But at the same time, they also know him and they know that there are ways and means to go about stopping him. I'm going to pick Italy to get through, so I'll have Spain against Italy in the first semi-final. I think it's going to be two good games, though. I, I really do. I think we're in for a good day of football. Obviously, with, with the, the first game, both of those teams just played in mental games in the last round. And Spain's game before that against Slovakia was nuts. But I think the, the game that will have the real quality should be Belgium versus Italy. This may well, well, <laughs> this may well be a final before the final. Because when you look at the other half of the draw, I don't really see anybody that can beat either of these teams. Especially when you consider that if De Bruyne is not back for this one and Belgium get through, he will be back for the semi-final and final. Same goes for Hazard. And, you know, the, the Czechs have major flaws. I think the Danes have major flaws. Ukraine definitely have flaws. And as do England. England, defensively, they've been good in the tournament, but you'd still look at Harry Maguire and think pace will undo him. You'd still look at Harry Kane, despite his tapping against Germany, and think, there's the fellow that just doesn't turn up in major games in tournaments. So, I think this could be a final before the final. I'm really excited for the games, um, especially that second one, but the, the Switzerland-Spain one will be really good to set us off. Uh, I don't know if you've been paying much attention to what's gone on with the French squad, but the stories coming out about the aftermath of France's collapse against Switzerland. They're just crazy. Uh, there's a piece on The Athletic. Daniel Taylor and others have contributed to it. And it's it's incredible. Like, if you remember back, some of you may not be old enough, but when, when the Dutch went out of Euro 96, there was all this talk and all these stories about what was going on behind the scenes about egos and ar arguments and issues with Davids, issues with Seedorf. This seems to be a very, very similar tale. And the worst part for France is they're the reigning world champions. We've got a World Cup in 18 months. They will go into that competition as the favourites. And yet, as things stand, you wouldn't put money on them. Because the egos seem to be out of control. Deschamps intends to stay as manager, despite the fact that there's no real evidence he's a good manager. Yes, they won the World Cup. They won the World Cup based on the talent they had in the team. They had by far the best team. They won the World Cup. They had by far the best team at the Euros last time round and managed to lose the final. He insists on picking his favorites. Sissoko, mediocre player. Langley, mediocre player. They, they should not be in the team. France have much better options available to them. And also, his inability to bring through this incredible generation of French talent is very, very concerning. I, I know Mbappe is through, but there was no real way to stop him making the team. It would have been suicidal for Deschamps not to bring him into the team. But when you look at the squad and you see that the only three players under the age of 24 
are Marcus Turam coming off a bad season with Gladbach. Jules Kunde, who's maybe the best defender they have, and yet only got one appearance. And Kylian Mbappe, who, again, there's just no way to not have him in the squad. Why is Kamavinga not in the squad? Where's Kakare? What about Kanate and Upamecano? Now, Kanate will take an argument against because he did have a difficult season. Um, wasn't played all that regularly. But, I mean, Hossam Auerach should be in this squad. Uh, I would have said Jonathan Akone was more warranting of a place than Usman Dembele. And I think Dembele is more talented. But he had a dreadful season. A really poor season for Barca between injuries, lack of form, inconsistency. Like, you can go up and down that squad. Mandanda, I don't believe, should be in the t- in the squad at all. Giroud, fair enough, though he's not first choice at club level. And it worries me when I see players for major nations who aren't first choice at club level be in their international squad. Hugo Lloris is the captain, somehow still the first choice goalkeeper, despite Mike Magnon being a vastly superior goalkeeper at this point. Magnon somehow only has one cap. He has been, for three years, the best French goalkeeper. The last two seasons, he was the best keeper in in the French League. And yet, he's got one cap. Um, Moussa Sissoko. Multiple bad seasons now for Spurs. Isn't first choice at Spurs, yet he's in the squad. Uh, Wissam Benyed, I have no problem with. He had a really good season. How he only has 14 caps, I don't know. Griezmann had a bad season, but I can understand why he's in. Kante, no problem with that one. Although the fact that Kante still only has 50 caps is really, really strange to me. And, like, Deschamps has been in charge now nine years. Kante's been great, say, for five, six of those years. He should have a lot more caps than he currently does. Pogba... I mean, he's in, the, he's in the squad based on reputation from his club days. But he is always good for France. He does turn up for France. Varane the same. Happy with him. Uh, Luca Dina, no problem. Very good season for Everton, despite injuries and a, a lot, lack of talent around him. Quarantine Tolisso? I don't know why he's in the squad. He played 24 games for Bayern last season. And wasn't first choice at any single point. A lot of those appearances came as a sub. Uh, Leo Dubois should be the starting right back. Especially if you're going to play a back three at any point. Which they did in the last game. He's got seven caps. He's an excellent attacking right back. Uh, Kurt Zuma. I mean didn't have a good season. Adrian Rabiot. I, I don't mind at all. Very very good player. Clement Langley. He's, he's awful. He really is. He shouldn't be in the Barcelona squad, let alone the French. Uh, Mike Magnon, no problem would have been in the squad, but he should be first-choice goalkeeper. President Kimbembe, I don't mind. He's a good defender at times. Can be inconsistent, can be error-prone, but for the most part, he's quite good. Thomas Lamar is a player I really like, but he, he's not first-choice at club level. I don't know how he can be in the squad, and he didn't have a great season, despite Atleti winning the title. Lucas Hernandez is a brilliant defender. He just hasn't established himself yet at Bayern as first choice. Now, he probably will this coming season. Pavard 
has established himself a bit more at Bayern. He hasn't had the injury problems, but he didn't have a good season, I didn't feel. Uh, same goes for Kingsley Coleman. Not a great se- Well, he had a good season numbers-wise, but he had a couple of injuries that would concern you. But again, I'm, I'm not really picking at that one. I think he's a, a fine inclusion. But Dembele shouldn't be in. Turam shouldn't be in. And Kunde and, and Mbappe, you, you don't argue against. But when you look at the squad that went to the under-21 European Championships, like, I would have said Ilan Melier was more deserving of a place in the senior squad than Mandanda. Especially considering he wasn't going to be first choice in the under-21s because of Alban Lafont. Why not bring him along for some experience? Upa Meccano should have been in the squad, um, I think, without question. I would have said Badi Ashile had a good case for being in the squad. Wesley Fafana had a case. Now, I know he got injured. But, you know, like Loic Bade, Maxence Lacroix, they would have been much better picks than Langley and, and Zuma. Uh, in terms of midfielders, Awar, Kakaret, Chumeni, much better pick than Sissoko or some of these players that he's got on the team. Kamavinga should have been in the team. I wouldn't have been against picking Bubakari Samare, who played an important role in France winning the, or in, in Lille winning the title. Um, I think Jeff Rene Adelaide had a decent enough season for Nice to, to warrant a call up over somebody like Sissoko. And then, you know, again, you look at wide options. I mentioned Akone. I mean, Guri had a good season for Nice. Moussa Diaby had a really good season for Leverkusen. Odson Edouard had a really good season for Celtic. Uh, breaking news, Tony Cruz has announced his retirement from international football. That takes care of one of the big headaches that Hansi Flick was going to have. Uh, I'll come back to that. I just want to finish on this French thing. But I just I wanted to point out, I think Deschamps made so many poor decisions in his squad and I know you're looking for balance, and I know you're looking for experience, but you can have experience in the squad without them having to play. You know, Lloris could have been in the squad as backup to Magnon, and he still would have had the experience around the, you know, the training ground, around the dressing room. Um, the other strange thing was obviously the re- recalling of uh, Karim Benzema. Now... No problem with him being called up. But the fact that he hadn't kicked a ball for France since 2015 and was immediately invited back and put straight into the team is really strange. And apparently some of the tension around that decision and around him as a kind of personality has been uh, has been difficult as well. Tony Cruz then. I mean, Tony Cruz is a, is a wonderful, wonderful player. He's had an incredible career. But it is the right time, I think, for him to step away uh, as as an international player. He is only 31, so he, he could have carried on, there's no doubt. But 106 caps, 17 goals, obviously played an important part in winning the World Cup. I mean, you look at what he's done at club level, three Bundesligas and a Champions League with Bayern, um, two La Liga titles, and three Champions Leagues with Real. He's been 
fantastic. He really has been a fantastic player, and I'm sure he'll continue to be at club level. But it is the right time, because it's time for Leon Goretzka and Joshua Kimmich to become the central midfield part- partnership. If Hansi Flick wants to play 4-3-3, Gundogan makes more sense as that third option, or Newhouse would make more sense than Tony Cruz with those other two and how they play. You really need to hand over control of that midfield to Kimmich at this point. At this point, there's no real argument that Joshua Kimmich is a better player than Tony Cruz and can offer you a lot more. So I think that solves that problem for Flick. He's still got a lot of problems to solve. I think there's major question marks in defense. There's question marks at right back. I think he's got a a big decision to make in goal. The, the, the decision that Yaki Lowe made to leave Ter Stegen out of the squad and, and then say it was because he didn't have a good season while at the same time picking Bernd Leno, who had a shocker of a season for Arsenal. Um, you know, like I say, questions in, in defence, questions up front. Do you have a number nine? Can you find a number nine? Is there a, a German number nine that will work or are you going to have to maybe convert Kai Havertz into that role? Uh, which I think is the, is the way to do it. Havertz is the nine, Florian Verts of Leverkusen as the ten, Sané and Gnabry on the wings. I, I think that with Kimmich and Goretzka as a double pivot in midfield is the way forward. And I think age-wise, Kimmich is 26, Gnabry is 25, Goretzka is 26, Sané is 25, um, Havertz is 22, Verts is 18. You can build around that for four, five, six years. You just need to sort that defence out. Robin Golson's is a no-brainer at left-back, and again, at 26, you get lots of runway with him, multiple tournaments. Nicolas Sula, if he gets back to his best, will be one of the centre-backs. I don't think there's any any doubt about that, but he may need to move away from Bayern to get back to his best. Uh, and at 25, lots of opportunity for him. Testegen is 29, but... Goalkeepers will play that bit longer. Right-back options could include Benjamin Henricks, but he needs to get back on track. Uh, could include Tilo Carrere, but he is more of a centre-back. Lukas Kloisterman may be the best option. Solid defensively. Could allow you to play a back three in possession and let Gosens bomb forward. And a 25 would fit that kind of four- to five-year outlook. So it really is finding a centre-back to play next to Sula. Rudiger at 28 is probably the best current option. But his form is so inconsistent. Good one season, bad the next, average the next. We'll see how he is next year. Outside of that, I am struggling with this with this German squad. I don't see a huge amount of really standout options who could come in and make a real claim that they should be starting at centre-back for the national team. There isn't really anybody, in my view, and I'm looking at the under-21 squad now, and I'm not seeing anyone jump out, jump up off the page at me. And you look at the defenders who didn't go to the tournament, again, there's nobody there really. Jonathan Thao was the, the big hope. He never developed the way he should have. Um... Career as a centre-back could be an option. Maybe Robin Cock 
kicks on, goes up another level. But at the minute, it's looking like it's Rudiger and Sula, Kloisterman and Golsons. That's probably the best back four he can go with as he takes over and looks to put his own stamp on the team. And I think he probably will go 4-2-3-1. So I do think Kimmich Goretzka... Gnabry. Now, he might play Sané right, Gnabry left. I think they're better on the other sides. I think Sané is much better as a left winger. Gnabry's good either side, but I prefer him on the right. Verts is a 10. I think has to happen. Now, that still leaves Jamal Musiala as an option. Um, I just think that right now, Florian Verts is the more talented player, the better player now, the more mature player, and the one who'd be able to cope a little bit better with the expectation. But he's he's yet to be capped while Musiala has five caps um, because he, you know, enamored uh, Yaki Lowe. He's a tremendous player. I'm not, I'm not suggesting otherwise, but I, I would prefer Florian Verts. Um, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, there's a bit of news and we'll wrap up with the gossip. See you in a few. Right. Welcome back. So we have some news. Uh, Juan Mata has agreed a one-year contract extension with Manchester United. His previous contract ended on the 30th of June, but he has now agreed to stay for one more year. This would suggest that United don't expect to make many more signings after Sancho and are just trying to keep pieces in place. Um, Don't expect to make more attacking signings is what I should say. I think they'll make one in defence, maybe two, if they get a a right back in. Um, but keeping Mata makes sense. I mean, he's he's clearly not the player he was anymore, but he does have great experience. He is reliable when you want to bring him in for a game here and there. He can play multiple positions. Uh, and at 33, I mean, I think this was probably this is probably the the right decision for him as well. I don't know where he would have gone on to. Um, that wouldn't have been a substantial step down. Because I think right now, if he's moving on. He's probably going to like a mid-table Spanish team. I, I don't know that he'd go uh, anywhere else. He played 18 games last season. But in previous seasons, 37, 32, 40. So he has played regularly up until this past season. Um, United have also uh, confirmed the signing of Tom Heaton as their new, I assume, third-choice goalkeeper. Because I can't see them getting rid of De Gea. I really can't see them going with anything other than Henderson as first choice, De Gea as the backup, and Heaton as third choice. Fills the quota, and he'll be really good help around the training ground. Good experience. Been there and done it. Played up and down the leagues. Uh, three England caps. It was great to see him get into the England team. It was the culmination of a lot of good work from him over his time at Burnley. Obviously came through the United Academy. Was at United for eight years in total, having originally been at Wrexham. But he was at United from 02 to 2010. Never played a game for them. Went on loan to Swindon, Royal Antwerp. United used to have that link up all the time. Cardiff, Queen's Park Rangers, Wickham, Rochdale, and Wickham, and Wickham, sorry, Queen's Park Rangers, Rochdale, and Wickham. Sorry, that's exactly what it is. Uh, Then he left and went to Cardiff on a permanent deal, was there just over a year, and Bristol brought him in, had one season there, and he got brought to Burnley, where he 
went up, went down, came back up, established himself. And then unfortunately suffered injuries and Nick Pope took his position. But on to Villa, was doing well until his knee blew out. Um, he hasn't played a competitive game in quite a while. So, you know, I think he is just going there for quota and training ground purposes. But good for him that he gets to go back to where it started. At 35, it'll be a nice way for him uh, to run out the last couple of seasons of his career. It's a two-year contract with an option for a, an extra year. I think that's a clever signing by United, if I'm being honest. I think there were other clubs that potentially might have even given him a bigger role. Maybe he could have been the second choice, but I think it's good for United to get that done. Uh, Stuart Dallas has committed his future to Leeds United. Uh, Dallas obviously played a lot of left-back last year, but um, even with Junior Furpo looking like he's arriving, Dallas will still have a big role to play because he plays in midfield. Primarily, that's his preferred position. And I think he'll continue to play an important role in their squad. Might not start as many games, might not play as many games, but I think Bielsa trusts him implicitly, and I think he'll continue to use him fairly regularly in one position or another. Can obviously cover right back as well, can play out wide. Having Stuart Dallas in your squad is perfect for Bielsa because of the demands he places on players. Dallas is like, I suppose, their version of James Milner. A uh, little bit more pace about him, maybe not as good a pass through the ball, more aggressive and can probably get you a lot more goals from open play than Milner. But I think he's that similar type of model professional, always turns up, never shirks a challenge, play anywhere, and will give you 6 out of 10 pretty much every week. If you expect more, you might end up disappointed. Now, he will give you 7s and 8s, but he rarely goes below that 6. Uh, Norwich have completed the loan signing of Billy Gilmore, a one-year loan from Chelsea. Obviously, they had Ollie Skip there last year, who played a big role in getting them up. I think Billy Gilmore's a, a better player than Ollie Skip, though I do like Skip, and I wonder if they might try and keep him as well. Uh, I really like this for Norwich. I think Gilmore's a big, big talent. I really do. I think he's the type of player that, if he was at a different club other than Chelsea, would already have established himself as first choice. Like if he was, if he was at a West Ham or a Villa, I think he'd establish himself as first choice quite quickly. I love his style of play. I think he's incredibly mature and intelligent for a player of his age. He's made the right decisions throughout his career for his own development. I'm sure he's got good guidance behind him. Um, and he seems to make all the right decisions. He really does seem to make all the right decisions. I think this is a good decision for him. It's a good decision for Chelsea. I have doubts whether he makes the grade at Chelsea because not, not nothing to do with his talent. I just think Chelsea at times will overlook what they already have in-house to go and get the shiny thing. And maybe Bill, Billy Gilmore might not be shiny enough for them. But if they're smart... In a year, maybe Jorginho goes out and he comes in and it's just a natural progression there. Um, the Manchester United PR machine appears to be in absolutely full swing. Uh, so obviously they've agreed the deal for Sancho. Now, so many conflicting reports coming out, most of them straight from Manchester United. Uh, all of the British journalists appear to have been briefed. 73 million, no add-ons. 
but it's not though, is it? Like if we're all being honest, we all know it's not seventy three million and no add-ons. Dortmund didn't come down from eighty five million and fifteen and add-ons to seventy three and no add-ons. Um, it looks like it looks like Dortmund have gotten closer to what they wanted than United have. So the figures that are coming out of Germany are seventy seven and a half million sterling, ninety million euros plus between 10 and 15 million in add-ons. United are suggesting, no, 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 it's 73 million. I'd be inclined, of course, to believe what the Germans are telling me because they will have to declare it. Like, they have to declare it. And what that would be is that's about 90 million, including the 15 million in add-ons. It's about 90 million. They wanted 100 million sterling. It looks like they'll get 105 million euro, which is about 90 million sterling. And I think I think they'll be happy enough. United are trying to claim it as a big win, trying to claim that they saved 35 million by waiting a year. In truth, they saved about 18 million. Now, some of those add-ons will be hard to reach, but based on a conversation I had with a, a journalist who covers the German game, covers Bayern specifically, and is very highly regarded as a Bayern Munich insider, about 10 million of the add-ons are absolutely nailed on, guaranteed to happen. They're on appearances and simple things like that. The other five million are based on United winning Champions League, Premier League, things like that. Unlikely, I would say, especially under Oli. But when United get a real manager in, I think I think then they become uh, become potentially viable. There's also conflicting reports re- around the contract. So last summer, United agreed to pay Sancho two hundred and fifty thousand a week. This summer, they're saying it's it's about the same as last year. Sancho's side don't seem to be saying much, but the again, the word from Germany is it's about 300 grand plus bonuses. That's an awful lot of money. That's an awful lot of money. It's 15 million a year plus bonuses. On a five-year contract, 75 million plus bonuses. So this Sancho deal is going to cost United at a minimum 152 million over the five years. Now, you can of course say, oh well, you know, like if he wins them stuff, it's all worthwhile. And that's true. That is all true, but that's if. Dealing in definites, it's 152 million. Again, United have come out and said, oh. The fee will be paid in five equal installments. Again, the Germans are saying that's not true. That's not true. They're paying a much bigger price up front. And then the installments are smaller across three years. So it's hard to know who to believe. I definitely on the fee would be inclined to believe the German side. I think on the payment structure, though, I do believe that the the five years of equal payments, which would be 17 million a year, is probably right. It could be something like they pay, say, 34 this year and then 17 over the next few, but 17 a year over the next, say, three years after this. So they break the installments over four years. But look, as things stand, barring a catastrophe for United, Sancho will be signed. Unless something goes wrong with the medical, Sancho will be signed. They outbid themselves. Nobody else was in for him. 
I think Dortmund were hoping that if they held out, somebody else would come in. I assume they've reached out to other clubs who've had a look and thought the finances don't add up for us. We're not interested. Not at that kind of wage anyway. Um, I think Sancho potentially was open to other moves. I don't think it's a case where he planted his flag and said, I'm going to United and nowhere else. If that was the case, I don't think he'd be getting that type of wage. And I think he probably would have pushed to go. Uh, as it is, he, he he didn't at all. Now, I'm sure when he's you know, introduced, he'll say all the right things. And we'll hear stories about how he turned down this club and that club. Uh, Manchester City are winners in, in some sense here as well. Um, they will get 15% of the the sale price. So it's um, if it's 77 million, which is what I'm guessing it is, they'll get about 11 and a half million pounds, which is a, a very tidy price. A very, very tidy price for Man City. However, that comes back to 20 million in total that they'll have gotten for Sancho between the initial sale, sale fee and this. And I think that we'd all agree they'd rather have him in their team. I mean, they might go and spend $100 million on Jack Grealish this summer, who's not as good as Sancho. It's strange. It's strange how City operates sometimes. I mean, they had Sancho and Foden. And we've seen Foden go on and you know become such a regular part of the team. You'd wonder why the same opportunities weren't given to Sancho. Sergio Ramos uh, appears to be heading for Paris Saint-Germain. He has allegedly agreed terms on a two-year contract. Uh, if ever there was a, a match made in, in heaven, it's Sergio Ramos and Paris Saint-Germain. You, you couldn't really put two more distasteful uh, grouping together. Um, I, I do, myself and Guy were talking beforehand, I do look forward to the Ramos-Kimpembe calamity at centre-back. I would guess it's going to be a three-man backline of, of Marquinhos, Ramos, and Kimpembe. And like I said earlier, I do think Kimpembe is a decent defender. He can be very good at times, but he is error-prone. Uh, Marquinhos will have to do an awful lot of heavy lifting. An awful lot of it. They're having a, a good summer, though, PSG. Like, they got Ginny Wijnaldum on a free. They got Donnarumma on a free. Ashraf Hakimi's on his way in. So... You have to give them credit. I wouldn't have touched Ramos. I think he's the most overrated player of the last 15 years. But he is a serial winner. You do need that kind of winning mentality and experience at your club because you've fallen short so many times. And maybe he can be the one that changes that. But if Thiago Silva couldn't do it, I'm not sure Sergio Ramos can do it. I would say Silva's every bit the captain and leader. And at his best was a much better defender than Sergio Ramos. Um, last bit of news before we hit the gossip. Declan Rice has has rejected West Ham contract offers and wants to be informed of any bids amid interest from Chelsea, Manchester United and Manchester City. Uh, I'm not sure when he is alleged to have rejected these contract offers. Because obviously he's at the Euros, so you'd imagine he's a little bit busy. The article goes on to say he's obviously was at Chelsea before. His best friend is Mason Mount. 
Thomas Tuchel apparently has identified him as a key target. Considering one of the things that ended Lampard at Chelsea was his insistence on wanting Declan Rice, I'm not sure about that. Um, It mentions that Manchester United could offer Jesse Lingard in part exchange. Um, Obviously, Lingard had a good half season there. It says that West Ham want $100 million. Hundred million for Declan Rice. That would be. I mean, I I think Grealish for hundred million is ridiculous. Rice for hundred million would be one of the worst deals I've ever seen. Genuinely, he's a thirty-five, forty million pound player. He's a good player. He's not a great player. He's still very raw. Still makes quite a few mistakes. When you look at West Ham, him and Suchek in midfield, Suchek is the better of the two in pretty much every area. Rice, is, like I say, is a good player and he's young and he is going to get better and I think he will become a very good player. I just don't see him becoming a world-class player. And for 100 million, I just think that is absolutely bananas. Um, So there is a... I wouldn't put much stock into the journalist who wrote that piece. However, it's also apparently coming from Matt Law uh, from The Telegraph. Now, Matt Law is generally wrong about most things. And he's normally he normally focuses on Chelsea and Spurs. Um, he does have decent enough connections at Spurs, I think. But he's generally wrong about most things. Um so there is a there is a well-known Twitter account called X West Ham United employee. So he's come out and tweeted today. The information about Declan Rice is true. This is because the contract offers have been below what Yarmolenko was currently on, what Javier Hernandez was was on, and what other well-paid players were earning. For the player to stay at the club and turn down big moves, the pay needs to reflect his ability. If you compare to his international teammates. They obviously have a much higher wage and opportunities for success. These are how negotiations go and could change. However, the offer needs to improve significantly. The club have no intention to sell. They do expect a huge offer, and they will consider it, but so far there's been no offer. So if they have no intention to sell, why would they consider the offer? That's a bit strange. Um, At the moment, apparently, his contract runs till 2024. The offer was 60k a week. So he's probably on about half that now. I think they've probably got to push him to 80, 90,000. Make make him the highest paid player at the club. He's not the best player at the club, but make him the highest paid player. He is your captain. He is homegrown. He is English. That carries a, a tax. Um, I don't, I don't think anyone's paying 100 million for Declan Rice, though. I really, I really don't think, even in this silly, silly transfer window, I don't think anyone's paying a hundred million for Declan Rice. I, I would put stock in what that that account has to say. He has been very, very accurate before, and some people have confirmed that he is connected to West Ham. That he is actually an ex-employee who had quite a decent role there. Um, but I wouldn't put much stock in the, the reporter from the Guardian who. 
Well, he's a bit of a gimp, really, if we're being honest. Um, on to the gossip then. Uh, new Tottenham boss Nuno Espirito Santo has told Harry Kane he will not has been told Harry Kane will not be sold, although the England striker is expected to reiterate his desire to leave the club this summer. I, I still think there's a there's a real argument to be made for selling him and reinvesting that money. I really do think there's a real argument for that. Because I'm not sure, especially under Nuno, I'm not sure Spurs are going to go where they want to go. And as Kane ages and he'll turn 28 soon enough, his value is going to depreciate. I think you're better off selling him now when his value is at its highest. Everton are expected to beat Arsenal. Sorry, Everton are hoping to beat Arsenal to the 50 million signing of Brighton centre back Ben White, with the Gunners having already had two bids rejected. He doesn't fit the bill of what Rafa Benitez looks for in a centre back at all. I don't believe Everton are in for him. What I think that is, I think that's Brighton feeding sources in the newspapers and telling them, oh, we've got interest from Everton as well, trying to force Arsenal's hand. Because as things stand, Brighton don't really have a position of strength. 45 million is apparently what they've already been offered. Sorry, that's well over what he's worth. And also, there's no other interest. He wants to go there. They're going to have to accept that money. I think this is them trying to get a little bit extra out of Arsenal. If I was Arsenal, I'd stand pat at 45. And maybe do some hijinks. Try and, you know, pressure the player's agent for something. Arsenal have confirmed interest in... Manuel Locatelli, but have denied making a bid for the Sassuolo midfielder. Now, the president of Sassuolo said they had, but again, as with the Ben White thing, that may be trying to get Juventus to hurry up. I don't think he goes to Arsenal either way. Juventus have received no indication from Cristiano Ronaldo that he wants to leave the club, according to their uh, chief executive, Federico Cherubini. Um the thing for Ronaldo is wherever he goes, he's going to have to take a pay cut because no one's going to pay him the money that Juventus are paying him. He probably just stays one year, leaves in a free, and then goes wherever he wants. Southampton midfielder James Ward-Prowse is a target for Aston Villa, and the England midfielder could be keen to make the move. This is from Football Insider. Now, we know for a fact that James Ward-Prowse is a target because they've already made a bid for him. So Football Insider in the bin. Uh, Barcelona hope to finalise the sales of Junior, Junior Firpo to Leeds and also plan on loaning out Miralem Pjanic with Tottenham and Arsenal, Tottenham and Juventus interested in the 31-year-old. I'd love to see him in the Premier League. I, I've always been a fan of Pjanic. The Barcelona thing was weird, but I, I do really like him. Um, Liverpool are monitoring Yves Basuma and Ryan Gravenberch as they seek a replacement to Ginny Wijnaldum. This is from the Liverpool Echo. I read that article. It basically said, we don't know what's going on, but here's what's been reported elsewhere. Tottenham are set to rival Everton in an attempt to sign 28-year-old England defender Connor Cody. Uh, again, this is Football Insider. This is putting two and two together. He used to play for Nuno at Wolves. Now Nuno's at Spurs. Nuno's going to want him. Nuno's not going to want him. He's not good enough to play for Spurs. Everton aren't going to want him because Rafa won't play a back three. So. Nonsense. Spurs have offered Bologna 15 million euros plus add-ons for Takahiro Tamiyasu, who was also attracted at interest from 
Manchester United and Atalanta. He doesn't really make sense for United. I think he's best in a back three on the right-hand side or as a right-back in a four. United have Juan Bissaka. They want an attacking right-back, which he it really isn't. Um, he'd make sense for Atalanta. He'd make sense for Spurs under Nuno, who they're going to play a back three. I, I, I assume they're going to sign him and Anderson, Joachim Anderson. I assume he, that's their plan. Um, Arsenal are keen to sell Willian, but uh, the Brazilian wingers' wage demands are putting off potential bidders. I would also imagine the fact that he's not very good will put off potential bidders. Leeds have opened talks with Cagliari over a €30 million Euro move for Nathan Nandes. I don't think he'll cost that much. I think they paid about eleven million for him. He's been good there, not great. I love him. I think he's he's just phenomenally phenomenally aggressive, I think is the way to describe him. He is mental. He's a real throwback uh, to when midfielders were midfielders and went in and put people up in the stands. Um I think he'd be great under Bielsa. Real Madrid have entered the race to sign Diogo Delot. I don't believe there's a race to sign Diogo Delot. I'd imagine there's more of a kind of a slow-paced crawl. Wouldn't imagine it's much of a race. Uh, Ryan Bertrand to Leicester, we know about. Barnsley captain Alex Mowat is set for a reunion with former Tykes boss Valerian Ishmael at West Brom after he turned down the offer of a new contract. Um, makes sense. Makes sense. Looks like he's out of contract. Yeah. Yeah, he was out of contract, and it looks like West Brom have uh, have signed him up. He's a decent player. That's a really good signing for West Brom on a free. He came through the Leeds Academy. I think he was there from when he was about seven. Um, but he was quite impressive for them. Found it surprising when he went to Barnsley, to be honest. Uh, but he's done well there, and he's gotten a good move. I, I think this is an important signing for West Brom. They they lost Maitland-Niles and Gallagher and Yakuzlu because they were all in on loan and they couldn't afford to keep them in the uh, in the championship. That's a clever move. I, I do think that is a clever move. It's their first signing of the summer. They've had quite a few players leave. Charlie Austin. Letting Sam Field and Raheem Harper go, I think, is really poor, though. Hal Robson-Cano released. Camille Grzycki released. Branislav Ivanovic released. Andy Lonigan re- released. Lee Peltier released. Kyle Edwards released. And then a load of youngsters by the looks of things. They always have a very good academy. But I think letting Sam Field go on a free is is poor. I know he was there on loan. Um but I think he's a decent midfielder. I think he'll do I think he'll do good bits for, for QPR. And Raheem Harper, I think, is a decent player. Didn't understand why he didn't play last year in, in the Premier League for them. I thought he could have offered a lot more than than some of the ones that did play, especially in the first half of the season. Anyway, that's it. That is the show for today. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you for spreading the word. Do keep spreading the word. Tell your friends. Um, give Fox Home to listen. Find them on Spotify. If you're into crypto, check out Redscoin on Twitter at Redscoin, R E D S C O I N, Redscoin. And of course, check out Liberty Shield and Home of Hopcroft.
Thanks to Guy Drinkle. See you later. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.